Hello and welcome to Royale Without Cheese, our bi-weekly podcast in which we discuss both the classic and the unknown of Hollywood and foreign cinema from the then and now. We are your hosts, me, Tomás Ferreira, Leonardo Miranda. Hey there, always a blessing to see your face in this fine morning. Always a blessing, isn't it? Preach, I find it too. preach find it, man, it too. preach it. And there you go, that's Miguel Adio for you, you know. I said Adio, I don't know why, but uh, yeah, you know, the double I. Because you're a disrespectful I mother. I am a disrespectful bastard, of course. Well, we are three filmmakers in informal dialogue with a film review each episode. As part of our insane tertulia, reviews in both English and Portuguese will be available for different listeners. Today's episode will be in English and we'll be having a go at Lynn Ramsey's Morvan Kala. Yeah, that was my bad attempt at Scottish. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> any Scottish viewer out there. Portuguese speakers can head to the Portuguese labeled content section. Now sit back and hope you enjoy. Enjoy the tertulia. afraid of Marvin. Everyone is, is afraid of her Scottish accent. Come on, Marvin, tell us what did you thought about it. I, this uh, is Irish. Perhaps, I don't know, just killing Same off. thing. Same thing, of course. <laughs> sorry, Scottish listeners. Sorry. Uh, uh, sorry. I'm trying to channel in uh, Sean Connery. So, this is a remedy. Please continue, uh, Miguel. Try to insert your opinion. Uh, no, I was trying to um, come up with a way to sum, sum up the film. Or what I thought about the film. I guess um, probably I, I like the direction more than the the writing, um, and this includes the the performances as well, which I thought were were very strong. Um, but yeah, writing wise, a um, couple of things that probably we will discuss too um, are not that strong. Um, they seem to come a bit out of out of the blue <laughs> and um and yeah so uh, generally speaking i wouldn't say it's uh, as strong uh, written as it is actually directed by by lynn uh but yeah uh, what do you think i think both films that we are talking about today are more image driven than yeah. properly plot driven and yeah i didn't particularly connect with marvin color the film the character okay <laughs> but i don't know i just it didn't i think it's do a rewatch eventually because i think i it's one of those like i can feel i'm missing out on something that other people are seeing that i'm not and yeah i don't know eventually i'll see it but right now it just kind of annoys me this these gritty social like <laughs> portraits social, social commentary. not social commentary just like social commentary. <laughs> like a more i don't know a trashier look as well like i don't know there's a lot of things yeah i can't describe it I, I just feel like i've seen this a lot especially in british films of this mm -hmm. nature and the nightlife, the parties, the nightclubs, yeah, going exactly. out the 
skanky and hotels and you know yeah it's very i don't know and i live in you know south of portugal i've seen a lot of british people having parties and being annoying and sometimes i i need um you know a safe a safe space from that safe <laughs> a safe haven and uh, i don't need to watch a film about them going to <laughs> the south of spain <laughs> To be annoying. This is a uh, you know uh, trash. Lenny's uh, very own personal racist commentary over here <laughs> section. <laughs> I'm I'm very racist against Brits. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, you know what? Um, I I sympathize with that feeling of um, on a first viewing this being a difficult film to really um, ingest uh, digest. I mean uh, because um, I had the same feeling when I watched it for the first time and. This was my second time. By the second time, I did feel like I appreciated it a little bit more. But I do understand that I think what Miguel said is very clear in the sense that it, sh it, it says what is of good and, let's say, meeker with the film, which is great directing, a film of really driven by the imagery, but the writing in some instances, for me, uh, could have a little bit of uh, touching. Because to me, I really like moments of it. I really like how the image conducts the narrative, uh, how the sense of uh, an aptic sense of, of the real, this is through touch, knowing reality and decodifying the character because touch is a really key element in the film and in understanding uh, Marver, Marvern's state of mind, uh, how that in the sense of uh, her own experience uh, decodifies whatever Marvern wants, whatever she is about. And so it's from the image that the story really takes place. And in that respect, I really like the first part of the film. The second half, I think it gets Lucy Lucy <laughs> a lot. <laughs> uh, like it goes to a place that, okay, it, it, I think we are losing the track yeah. really far off. But the film, nevertheless, overall, it, it's always in this place of ambiguity. And the main question of it is, uh, to me, is Marvin has a character is, is like this question mark throughout this whole film. What does Marvin want from life? I think uh, that's to me uh, the great mystery uh, to ask that out of a, of a character to make me intrigued about how does this person operate, how she is, what does he, she feel? I, I, she's very strange. This could be as much a story of uh, a woman who was potentially abused and used and abused in her um, romantic life in the past. And death of her boyfriend becomes this kind of catatonic phenomenon to which throughout the whole film, she's reacting very slowly, kind of in this uh, numbness state, which is an interesting, uh, it's a, to me, is an interesting concept for a film to see the aftermath of a, of a death as this uh, place of being reborn for a person to actually enjoy life. That's how I interpret the film, because the relationship was a place of prison. Um, and the afterwards is a place of the Marvern of conquest, of liberating herself. The, the film more than once states that it wants to show how, um, well, it wants to explore male dominance and male abuse over uh, uh, the feminine sex and how, um, you know, the character wants to liberate uh, from that. Um, but in the case of the film, what is so interesting about it? Because he wants to keep the past, the relationship, her and her boyfriend, this is, uh, kind of in this ambiguity place, this mystery, unknown. And we never know quite her reasons to be the way she is, very cold and kind of selfish. 
like I was saying just before, this could easily be a film about an abused woman with her own reasons to do what she does, which is fling with the, uh, the boyfriend's novel and become, uh, you know, the famous author, uh, stealing his talent and kind of being a fair story, but at the same time can be the story of a sociopath. I mean, she is horrible. <laughs> She's not a good person, <laughs> to yeah. be fair. So part, uh, of the, part of the interest of the film, it's, you know, it's the character. And, um, and yeah, you have this ambiguity um, between why is she doing this? Um, what does she really want? At some point, it seems like it was about the money. Uh, but in, in an initial stage, it seems like it was just uh, getting rid of, the, of this relationship. But I mean, at the same time, uh, I think within this ambiguity, I mean, I think uh, Lynn, Lynn Ramsey gets lost a little bit in, in exactly what she wants from, from Marvin. Um, because as I had said, I mean, some things seem to come out of nowhere in justifying this, this duality of, 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 of Marvin. For example, when she starts to chop up the body in the bathtub, which it's kind of like the first indication that she's, you know, severely troubled mentally. Yeah, but... she's all right in the head, I think. And then you <laughs> see some glimpses of stuff like that, but not as strong as that. Um, probably the only thing that resembles it is when she's, you know, at night and she's sort of um, pushing her dress up and you have the, the sailor in the boat flashing the, the light. It's kind of a weird image. That's kind of, you know, almost like a sociopathic, uh, uh, I don't know, imagery, I suppose. Yeah. It's, it's, that is one of the images that I always remembered about this film. It's such a weird thing to happen. Yeah. You know? So kind of randomly, randomly and surprisingly. And I'm like, uh, you know, it, it always raises the question to me, what, does she, what is she about? Um, it's kind of, it can be both the, the weakness and the strength of the film, that question, I think, uh, to me. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. when it gets a little, you know, at the point where you don't know that you don't, you don't think you had justification to get to where you are, I think it's when it's, uh, you know, a little, it's when it's worse. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, when I, it's explored interestingly yeah. in terms of exactly who she is, I think it's, I think it has moments of that exploration being, you know, uh, finely tuned and finely done and, uh, for example, in the later, in the latter half of the film, when you get to the hotel, particularly the scene after the scene where she kind of bumps into another bedroom, starts parting with this guy with the drugs all naked. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> like, it comes to a point there. The expression is just all over the place. I, I don't know if you, it's just, it's it's almost like the ca her and the camera are saying, is this it? I think it is. So let's do this. It's, it's, who is at the you know, at the helm here, and uh, yeah. Um, but if, to me, what is so, the strength of it, on the other hand, is that um, because the past is so obscure, it's how the present behaves, how she behaves, that kind of tells how she was treated. I think that uh, because she treats the body um, with his, such a coldness and selfishness, like almost like a bookshelf from where she takes things out, takes things out and uh, takes hold of, that um, she, I think the story is basically saying, or the atmosphere is basically saying that she instrumentalizes uh, the body, his boyfriend, as much as he instrumentalized her 
uh, once you were leaving. But you, you're never shown that. It's implied. She's su such a cool person. I mean, granted, she must be a sociopath, or worse than a sociopath, to kill him. But she must be Haskell because he was like that. And the film kind of leaves breadcrumbs of it. I mean, she's kind of fed up with the little town life. You know, her uh, girlfriend um, is, is kind of a, a bimbo schmuck who... Uh, wants to stay in the in the fun girl kind of stereotype to police boys uh, seemingly and she's not having it she she wants to be you know different from that change kind of earns from that freedom and that is shown later in the hotel in spain where she's like in the, the girlfriend is in the bathroom with with the, the other boys were um throwing themselves at her and she's not having it so the film does thread that ground of that kind of those feminist themes and um I think oh, this is this is all for me to say. I think that's where she's coming from. That's those are the most, the more concrete or I mean specific areas that the film arrives at, and where the exploration is is the most interesting because you understand the suggestion, the power of suggestion there. And I really like, for example, on that uh, on this level, how she uses objects, which is very similar to um, what happens in Just the Wind. Uh, the objects always have this um, connection to uh, people and what they represent. Like in here, you have the Christmas tree uh, that is a kind of twinkling in and out, and uh, it kind of represents the body who still exists there. In this, even if she leaves the bedroom, the body of the boyfriend is still there, and she's taking advantage of it. Much like what happens in Chest of the Wind, where you have a body presumed dead but uh, who is lying somewhere in the house, kind of a phantom. And I thought this, uh, these two connections were interesting with the films. Uh, the way that hands are used, also in Chess in the Wind, the hands kind of gain this kind of um, other mind uh, of their own. You, you lose the face completely and you get these very close shots of hands messing around with objects and how are they used and for what and what they represent of the people. Listen, I think filming... <laughs> <laughs> interiority of the characters is very difficult through yeah. images obviously uh, in many films that try to do that I respect but a lot of the times I you know if like if you as the person watching it are not seeing the same things the director was trying to say like even if I respect it I'm just not seeing it yet I think the same thing happens with me with Antonioni I just just don't see it i think it's just right now at this point in my life i think in a few years maybe i'll rewatch this film i'll rewatch antonioni as well and i'll find it'll click but yeah but i think there's a lot of moments here that work in terms of um translating the the strangeness of of the character as you were saying that moment where she lifts up her skirt but there's also other moments that i think are just kind of commonplace like seeing a bug in a carrot or putting your hand in the dirt it's just very <laughs> typical like you know i'm trying to connect with the world but i i feel disconnected mm -hmm. from it everything is death and decay just very uh, well, yeah, typical in that sense but mm -hmm. in other I senses mean, very atypical because I, i'm kind of looking at I mean, she does this bugs and food and, and stuff like that. She does this more than once in other films. But I think in this one in particular, this is, is a film where uh, the character is searching for freedom and some kind of 
um, self-fulfillment is the main theme in here, while in other films of her, and because I'm, I have seen the, her other features, I know that's not a theme. The themes are other things. Even if that comes, that imagery is the same, she's telling something else. But uh, yeah, I'm, I, I guess I, I have a different opinion because I'm conscious of, I'm looking at her, the rest of her filmography. Yeah, yeah, no, thinking, that's fair. This is a different thing. So she doesn't kind of repeat herself. Mm -hmm. um, but in, in response to that thing of, it's difficult to express interiority. Very true, and it can become very ambiguous. But you know, I feel that with Godard, uh, he does very um, intricate shot movements uh, that excite me, that surprise me. Uh, like I have seen in Vive Savi, where the camera kind of goes, you know, 180 and has little stopping points uh, during conversation, which is very unreal and unexpected and different from whatever I've seen before in terms of covering a, a conversation, but it does excite my brain asking me what does he want to, you know, really show up different with this new way of filming the conversation. Um, even if I don't get it, it's also, it seems exciting the prospect of seeing it a second or third time and that unveiling itself. I think that's the promise of films such as those. I think the films we like in general, minimalist anti-plot, all of those, or in between the mainstream and kind of minimalist style, always have this uh not risk but they thread in these in these areas of um where interiority expressing it is ambiguous but that's why at least i speak for myself but i, th I think you do too we are attracted to them even if um because they are this enigma that they demand you coming back to it almost like it's some kind of an hypnosis yeah, and it's not really uh, that surprising that there are so many pieces of art um, that transpose to other mediums um, don't work as well because of the nature of the original. And we we studied this uh, back in, in college, but I mean, it's true when you have such an interior perspective or extremely monologue based, I mean, uh, you can go, you know, for voiceovers in, in the films or some other, um, I don't know, device that can sort of transpose what you mean. But I think at the same time, it probably will never be um, the same thing. And because there are just works that are that are like that, I, I think. I mean, I don't mean to say that they are unadaptable, but um, to some degree, I uh, probably. Um, yeah, you just have... Like the approach has to be completely different. I mean, I guess that's why people say some books are unadaptable, but like I, because you're essentially doing something, I guess when people think of adaptation, they think of something very literal a lot of times, and there's an ex expectation from the audience that there, there has to be a faithfulness to the text, but it's a completely different medium. So it's really difficult sometimes to do that. And you have to approach it almost like a new thing. Just mm -hmm. you have this source material, but it's you're transforming it. It's almost becoming something new. I don't know. Just for the sake of making it work. I mean. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes that means betraying, I guess, the fans. <laughs> but depends. I, I guess these very introspective books maybe don't have that kind of, you know, insane fan base. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, that's what I was. Virginia Woolf, diehard fan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the stands of Virginia oh Woolf. Oh my god, the what's what's that book from uh, John Steinbeck? Uh, 
Grapes of Wrath. Grapes of Wrath. Yeah, and that's been adapted. That's been yeah. adapted. But like I was going to say, the fan base of Grapes of Wrath. Yeah. Or, <laughs> I don't know, Catcher of the Rye. I think that one. Oh yeah, a Catcher that. in the Rye. Yeah, a Catcher in the Rye. Yeah, or Infinite Chest. I was thinking about it uh, when you mentioned uh, Strange Books. I, I haven't read it yet, but uh, it does seem like um, one. That would be yeah, cool. insane. But I don't. I don't know. I've never read it. I don't know if it's very thought-driven by, you know what I mean? Yeah, I have the sense that it's this parallel story, some, one of them involving tennis yeah. players. Yeah, it's Ooh, insane. Tennis players, how weird. <laughs> oh my Ooh. God. <laughs> yeah, but it's like yeah. an encyclopedia novel or some people ah, describe yeah, yeah, it like yeah, that. Yeah, it's exactly. like insanely long. Adaptations is always tough. Like I think, for example, I've never read, uh, read Inherent Vice, but I feel like Paul Thomas Anderson probably did a a great job of translating uh, Pinchon's insanity into the screen, into something a little more. I think Paul Thomas Anderson's like solution, it's not a solution, but like the way he counterposes the insanity of the plot by which some like kind of simple, quote unquote, simple filmmaking, like usually a lot of static shots, a camera is not very flashy like it was in like, for example, Boogie Nights or Magnolia. I think that's a good approach as well. Like you don't try to mimic the insanity of the author sometimes, depending on the book, but right in this example, the insanity of the author by, you know, one-upping him, trying to match the level, but actually, you know, you let the the plot be the insanity and the filmmaking suggests a different kind of thing. And it works because there's a melancholic, like, like an undertone of melancholy all throughout the, the the film, so the filmmaking being like that works really well, in my opinion. Also, because there's that um, he keeps coming back to this hook in the story, which is kind of what m makes you grounded in it, which is his relationship with Sasha, her girlfriend. So she's the catalyzer of the whole thing. So the catalyst, I mean, and uh, so um, yeah, uh, she, the the sweeter moments. He, in the film that I remember are with her. So, uh, yeah, I think that's, um, he's that awareness that you're talking about. I think, uh, yeah, I feel it. And for example, we're talking about, um, you mentioned, uh, Miguel mentioned you know, films from film school that were like this, uh, within this, uh, kind of threading in this field of, in this field of ambiguity. And then I thought, well, when I, once I started watching Marvin Collar, I, I thought how, uh, sculptoric the film was and this uh, hinting back at uh, cinema and multicultural kind of mediality you know uh, I you know made an essay at the time in film school which was connecting cinema with um, sculpture as an art form and you know, this film in particular very much uh, made, uh, that made me remember uh, some of the words that I wrote about cinema and sculpture and that's part of the strength of the film for me this within my own experience of the film the way she uses lighting, the way that she addresses sometimes directly to the idea of the three-dimensionality uh, within the B-dimensionality that is part of the of film art by having her, this is the main character, literally touching textures and things in the film, like the body and going over it or water or um, a piece of paper. To me, I don't see it as much as commonplace uh, because I'm aware of her whole filmography and that it, here it, it, the, the sense of touch has an added meaning than in other films that 
of hers. Uh, I know that when, whenever, you know, for example, Marvin puts her hands in the water, it's not some um, nonchalant, frivolous thing that, oh, now I'm going to, you know, film her doing this because I feel it. I'm out there in the wind. I decide now that, she, that this should have some meaning in the film. Um, yeah, I think it's all to do, she's very much aware it's all to do with the sense of the character wanting the taste, wanting to kind of flee from the mundaneness of her life. Something that, a feeling that I think we all can feel uh, or relate to, um, going away from that, from the numbness, from the, from the everyday sameness and wanting to experience something different, experience something new. I mean, she's not a particularly brilliant character neither. Uh, she seems to be from, you know, uh, a lower background, uh, lower education, kind of really, I just feel her very closely knit and um, rested in that little reality. And she just wants to flee, but she doesn't know how. It's it's a case of a situation where the character wants to flee, wants to be something more or something different. She doesn't say it. Which does raise the question, it. how does she, how was she in a couple with this amazing writer? <laughs> What? No, because she's like, uh, as you said, you get a sense that she has low education, works in a supermarket, but then she she's in this couple with this guy who is an amazing writer. But you know, funny enough, kind of wonder yeah. about this about this relationship. Yeah, but I think that's what makes the character the possibility uh, of uh, a character such as that. You know, okay, the boyfriend also low uh, low background, but a writer Dostoevsky, like uh, they nickname him the friends. Uh, but for example, Mike Lee did Naked, and David Thewlis is a bum <laughs> who just walks along, you know, uh, London, and he just spews knowledge and facts about, you know, books and to people who don't want to listen to him, and he's just an asshole. <laughs> but he's very charismatic, so the idea that, you know, this to, to kind of hint or to kind of reference what Leo was saying, that kind of British, you know, underground cinema <laughs> has uh, commonplace points, uh, you know, here in modern color, we see that kind of uh, character type uh, reappearing and I find it interesting that the idea that you know a character so consciously has this can happen because it can you know there are strange people in life that don't appear often but when they do you kind of wonder wow he's so like this and yet he likes that kind of stuff um but, but I mean surprising. other than the fact other than that at least from memory other than that scene uh, where she chops her husband and you got a sense like both the writing and the character seem a bit out of out of tune. I mean, my main some of the problems I'd say writing wise aren't so much the character specifically um, that is poorly justified, but more like decisions in writing in terms of what she does. Like, for example, when she's in the hotel and, and um, she chases that sort of cockroach out of the out of the door and then she knocks on some random door. And there's this guy, they seem to know each other, and he says he lost his mom. Yeah, which... I agree. I agree with that one. That scene doesn't make, to me, I don't don't feel Yeah. Like... I mean, I like the way it unfolds. Um, it's, it's interesting. But uh, in terms of the actual beginning, the actual engagement with them... Um... I mean, it's, it's, a, tra it's a strange um, interaction. Um... And it's treated in a way that it seems like they know each other. Which is which is what you know most um, you know stuck out I guess. Yeah, I presumed at the time that he was one of the two guys that was in the bathroom with them. But still, I think, like you said, one of the big problem with that 
with the scene is the beginning. She just kind of knocks, <laughs> knocks on the door. Uh, my mom died, and it's all very, very well accepted. Yeah, it's two parts on words. I think they could speak a little bit more, but in 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 speaking so little, they they act as if they know each other, which is the strange thing because you, you as far as I, I remember, I, you hadn't seen that guy before. Um, yeah, and then they they have this weird sex scene, which uh, it's in uh, with uh, in the hotel in Spain with Morburn, and she knocks on the knocks on the door at the guy. That lost his mom, um, and yeah, it's a strange scene because it starts so. Yeah, it's what I think Tomaj was saying earlier as well. The second half of the yeah. film does is less interesting to me as well. I think the film starts off really great, very mysterious. You know, this body, the way she's touching the body. There's a strangeness to it. It's like a, similar to. Fritz Lang destiny in the sense that it's a very particular setup that, you know, really engages you. And also like Fritz Lang's destiny, I do feel like then the delivery or the follow-up to the setup, I don't fully love or connect to, mm -hmm. at least not right now, but regardless, yeah, a lot of things and work. In, in the second half, what kind of... What, it's that thing, you know, you, ambiguity is nice, but then you need to balance it. It needs to be a healthy ambiguity. Well, you need to balance it with really specific, at least suggestions of what is going on, to put it uh, very simply and directly. For example, when she gets to speak with, uh, with uh, the book editors, uh, it seems like she's kind of, she's in it for the money. I don't know, it's a very um, loose scene. It's, it's, that's the best... Uh, adjective I have sometimes for the scene. It's very loose. She's in it, she's not, she's very frivolous about it. Um, sometimes it's like, it's almost like this relationship with the character. I feel like I know who you are. I feel like I know what you are, but then I don't. It's it's very um And it's written in a kind of convoluted way. I mean, the, the, the editors say something like, we don't just fly out to, for Spain for some random first writer. Like the way they they expose things, um, and just yeah, I mean you feel that they say that because in fact it's so weird that they're there for actual an actual real mm -hmm. life scenario of of editors travel going to some place for some writer that sent a, a manuscript. I mean, at first she was surprised that they accepted, but then suddenly it it feels so mundane that they're actually there. It's it's I mean. I think the level of the expectations <laughs> vary between uh, between the uh, along the along the film, yeah. And then I think what's uh, in the follow up to, to that scene to go to the cemetery. They have this beautiful shot of her on one end of a, of a grave picking up a flower, and directly on the opposite side, uh, setting the flower on another grave. I mean, beautiful, you know, uh, concept. Uh, half of it is there in terms of meaning for me half of it i don't know if it isn't um but um i mean what i mean to say is that it it's it's like it's 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 some i think sometimes you know what he wants the film sometimes it doesn't know what he wants to put it simply i think it's like there we have the this 
it, it comes back to that earlier notion of her living with the body and keeping it at bay and entertaining its existence in the house while she's partying and while, she, while she's living off of it. Uh, and uh, it, it uh, implies or intends to portray this kind of sadness that somebody she had a relationship with and beyond feeling bad about or having resentment uh, against, she also kind of fell for him. And it feels like this very interesting idea, but then she doesn't develop it. She doesn't um, confirm it to us, I think. And it's a really missed opportunity in that sense, because she could say something about that sadness, which is like this new idea that comes later in the story. Oh, maybe she felt something for it. It's duplicitous. A lot of uh, abused women uh, feel like that and um, about the people they were in a relationship with. It's, it's, uh, it's um, ambivalent, you know, it's it's both sides. They love the person because they remember the first time they started a relationship with she was, he, she was very sweet and then he, he isn't. And, um, but the ending doesn't go there. It's like the ending is huge ellipsis back home and then kind of unresolved and she goes to a nightclub and that's it. What do you think of that ending? Yeah, I'd rather the... Yeah, I mean, I like the ending, uh, what I thought would be the ending at the train station, but then we go back to the disco, I think. Um, it just feels like you want to end with a nice song and uh, the character yeah. dancing. It's like, well, <laughs> That's why? what I felt. It was, it's, sometimes it's like... Sometimes it's like she f she knows very well what she, what she wants out of the out of the scene, and sometimes like maybe we should go into this room. Okay, and what's right? with these crazy maybe people should... dancing? Yeah, what's with these crazy people dancing? Like I mean, when she's uh, digging the uh, digging the grave, she's dancing like the jo like uh, Joaquin Phoenix in the Joker. I mean, it's like everyone likes to dance when they do nasty things. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think that the, mentioning the dancing, I think some she has very good handheld camera work uh, in this in this film that has yeah, a very... I mean the direction I think it's top notch yeah. Uh, yeah really solid and sometimes the way there's there's right at the beginning of the film there's this kind of um once again the film is very much about this idea of uh, a numbness in reacting very slowly to a very big phenomenon such as death and how does how does every each and one of us react to that and in this case being very selfish and self-centered and at the beginning, she's lying on the ground, and this is her apartment, and she turns to see her boyfriend's body. And it, it, the whole movement, just that, is cut between two shots. She goes, she goes, she changes between, like, back and forth between these two shots. And it's like her head is turning, and you see it turning um, twice. And so the action is dilated over time. And it's not straightforward that later over time until she touches, until she sees and touches the body. It's kind of broken down into pieces, which I think uh, it's like a little comment on how she's going to react for the rest of the film. Which, and it all done through handheld camera work, which once again works in that sense of the haptic, in that sense of the, of the touch, of, of the texture, of the, the sculpture sense of, of that the film lends um, it's like atmosphere and why it's to me so um, interesting yeah and as it said i mean the the first half is is much more interesting visually as well i mean i think the film mm -hmm. starts uh, leo also mentioned this with the body and especially the lights the christmas lights i think it's really well well placed um yeah. 
and then framing you the, the party the yeah. lights the way she, the, the handheld kind of meshes faces together and bodies the lack of music like as dance, well i think know? it really yeah. uh, i mean it, it sends you uh, in this weird atmosphere of somberness and uh mm -hmm. and mystery yeah you don't know what's happening I mean, or what happened yeah um but then you know the relationship with the girlfriend i think you um it could be a place for let's say a little a little arc you know some something of an evolution if she's so adamant in changing life in going away from her little town why does she, doesn't she break away from her what seems to be her adolescence or childhood friend who is this bimbo who never changes it's it, there's a real opportunity there to help let's say the audience in terms of the storytelling but she doesn't do anything with it she, she still comes back to her friend by the end of it and it's not certain if there is any, you know, uh, breaking or continuing on with the friendship. It's just, uh... yeah. I mean, I think there was this continuous trying of Morven to be with her friend, despite knowing that um, they probably want different things. Um, one wants to leave, the other wants to stay in their, t in, you know, in their town, um, and so. There are many moments where they clash and, and you get a sense of how different they might be. And um, especially because Lana uh, seems to be okay with the, with these with these interactions with men, with the, with the general um, environment of, of also in Spain, but especially in the town, in the in the, in the bar, playing snooker. And Marvin is always a bit um, at a distance in these moments. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think uh, Marvin is dealing with a lot of stuff. There's the money, but also you get a sense that because she immediately changes the title of the, the manuscript and she does all of these things that, okay, I probably don't want to have anything to do with this guy that died. Um, so she's dealing with a lot of stuff. And uh, I think part of that is also her dealings with Lana. Um, but I think the film ultimately when it when it ends and she goes, even though I don't think it's as well justified as it could be, I think it probably. I don't think she'll she's gonna return. Um, at least my idea is that she made that sort of decision. I'm gonna go to the bathroom, but then she goes out of the pub, and that's sort of final. That's how I read it. Um, and because you know that clash between them isn't new, isn't new, yeah. So, but yeah, again, it's. Um, it's it's justified but it's not um but there are many moments in between that don't feel justified and so there's always this air of yeah of of not things being quite as solid and, and structured as as they could be yeah in that sense i think i much prefer her first film ratcatcher and um later on we need to talk about kevin with John C. Riley and Tilda Swinton, I think those are um, particularly when you talk about Kevin, it's much more uh, that sweet spot between minimalists and the mainstream, also with more American actors. And um, so, while well, Redcatcher isn't, but uh, yeah, and her last one is definitely it, more mainstream. Oh well. yeah, yeah, and it's much more um, solid in terms of, of, the, of the coherence and how you can relate with the film and understand it. Um, 
although, for example, you were never really here, uh, I think is a very, first of all, the music from Johnny Greenwood, absolutely amazing. And it's still a very ambiguous film, though it's, 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 it's one that is a very straightforward story with kind of ambiguous, mysterious, little uh, dust spread around the film, I think. Uh, particularly the ending, which is very um, enigmatic. Well, what do you think, Lel? I, I like that one more than this one, but I've only seen oh, these you, two. Oh, you did so? You did, yeah. Did you see? Yeah, but it was a while ago, so I don't know. But I think I, I, I have downloaded Red Catcher as well. I just haven't watched it yet. Gotta watch it. But I, you were never really here. I thought it was a really interesting, like a somewhat, from what I remember, a deconstruction of like the thriller and uh, if I recall, like in, in the reflection on violence, I think the way she turns away from violence at certain points, I'm thinking the scene with the video cameras, right? Where you see each room and the way she cuts that up, I, I think it's formally genius. But uh, emotionally, I don't remember if I really connected with the film or not. But I think I did because Joaquin Phoenix, his performance is incredible. So that helps a lot. That, for example, uh, if you were never, no, I mean, if uh, you were never really here, <laughs> better film title. <laughs> um, that film, I think, is a better Joker than Joker. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Taxi Driver is a better Joker than Joker, you know, it's all... So the King of Comedy anyway. is a better Joker. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, these are all films it, that seem to live the in the same Joker, universe. It's a better Joker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But because these are all films that seem to live in the same universe as that shit film <laughs> and seem to do a better job exactly. uh, yeah. than it. That film is Joker is incredible because it just makes you appreciate other films in that sense. So great, great thought film. That's, that's the the art of seeing <laughs> the art. bad films, because <laughs> then they, they really make you appreciate how good films are. Good films, like oh my god, yes, I want. Of course, of course, it's like that's a reaction. But of course, but of course, Even is good. Color is of a better course, joke. Godfather is good. What <laughs> yeah. was I thinking? I forgot everything <laughs> or something. Yeah, Marvin Color is a Joker as well. Yeah, <laughs> and a very good one. Yeah, of course. Yeah, more believable. Yeah. Samantha Morton, it's uh, her act the actress. It's she's very good. Yeah. No, you know, throughout the whole film, I was thinking she does not have the typical actress face. She she's she's like a no no. She's not, it's it's not like a uh, like a natural, immediate charming face. It's it's a difficult kind of face. It's a, it's a non actor face. It's it's some someone like you. Would, you know, finding the streets. You might sometimes say that uh, he, she, or he has an actor's face, in the sense that oh, he's he has this kind of sex appeal or this beautifulness that you often uh, see actors, you know, having. It's something that is, you know, a face for the camera. But you know, the thing about non-actors is that they do have a face for the camera because either being, you know, act, you know, an actor's actor or non-actor, whatever you want to call it. Uh, an industry actor or non-actor, it's always about having a face for the camera, I find, because, you know, the friend, the girlfriend in this film, I think, she, I presume it was her first acting role, she was a non-actor, and she completely has a face for the camera, in my opinion, you know, she's very interesting. It, it, there, you know, it's about faces who can hold the camera, 
in front of you and the camera can be attracted by and, and wonder, you know, they can create wonder in your eyes. I think that's um, very much key. Yeah, it reminds me of that guy, they, uh, like the taxi driver they, they, um, they used to go to, to that village in Spain. Oh, yeah. You guys remember? <laughs> like a really uh, prominent face. And then looks back and does this smile with full teeth. Any final thoughts? What about that scene in Spain with the bulls? The procession? Oh, with the bulls. Or, not a procession. I like the shot of Lana uh, sort of um, trying to get in grips with the... How do you say? I'll just say the wall behind her. She was kind of lifted up and there were people up in, uh, beneath her and above her. It was an interesting shot. It was very sort of um, documentary-ish kind of shot. Um, and generally that scene has that feel, um, which is nice um, that you're really there uh, witnessing this this sort of you know festival thing. Um, but yeah, I think I thought it was an interesting scene. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't um... I don't know what to say about that scene, really. I, that's the scene where I, I kind of go, my brain goes blank. And I don't know what to say about it. Like it, the the film goes into this detour, balls and all, and yeah, it also I don't know, yeah, just another one of those moments I could do without. I don't. Yeah. I guess it has a purpose, but it feels like a very I, I, labored one. I guess one. it has a purpose within that still within that idea of experimenting new things and, and finding something new about a different place um but yet yet even if you see this theme yet there seems like there's some kind of direction absent you know some you know yeah like it just don't feel overall... like it communicates anything like for example the procession at the end of journey to Italy, the Rossellini film, like the the that is essential to the film, into yeah. the communication of the themes and the like the change in the characters. Here it just feels like oh yeah we're in Spain, let's make it let's have like a thing like this. Let's make it it's, Spanish. Let's make it Spanish. Let's have a pool <laughs> or whatever. It'll be cool. Put no, the but characters I think I mean come on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, I guess, but it just doesn't communicate all that much to me. This feels like watching two British people be annoying. Here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> two British people be annoying in a different culture. Yeah. Surprisingly enough, what I found very funny was that the hotel, the resort they're at, is exclusively populated yeah, yeah, by British exactly. people, and the people working at the hotel are British. So it's it's something to do with the production of the film in my in my head. Like, so you didn't have access to Spanish people to do this. Scene. <laughs> no, so, no, 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 that's just Brits how it is. They, <laughs> they just put I mean, British people in the same place. Yeah, the, the receptionist is British, and I'm like, yeah. uh, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would be yeah. funny if he talked like a very Scottish guy, but speaking Spanish, trying oh, to yeah, pretend yeah. like he's Spanish. That would be cool. Yeah. Hola. <laughs> Hola, yes, I don't know. Uh, Hola. <laughs> Oi, Morven. Eh. Yeah. Gracias. <laughs> Gracias, Morven. <laughs> Here's your room. <laughs> Here's key style, your quarto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
Your quarter. Yeah. Have a nice uh, e- evening. Uh, muy bien. A, a nice evening. <laughs> That's all for today. Uh, If you'd like to reach out and suggest a film for the next episode, you can find us on the podcast's official Instagram and Facebook pages. Don't forget to subscribe, share this episode, or simply give us a like. That's how our podcast can grow ever more groovy. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.